Good afternoon. It's so good to have you tuning in with us today. Greatness, accomplishment, satisfaction and recognition are all matters of this life which can be very misleading to us. Such earthly gains can be deceiving because they're, they're fleeting in this world. King Solomon expressed it as well when he talked about the idea of vanity and particularly when he reflected upon all of his endeavors and all of his accomplishments and then concluded that it basically left him personally empty-handed. Although he had made a lot of gains in his lifetime, but in the end, it was fleeting and meaningless. Today, man is still tempted. Man is still tempted to seek fulfillment and to seek uh, meaning in the gains of greatness or worldly accomplishment or earthly recognition or physical satisfaction. Take, for example, with Eve in the, in the, in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. When she was tempted by being like God, knowing good and evil, was she wanting to be on an equality with God, or was she just wanting more? More than what her true purpose or her place was. Wanting to exalt herself above her present circumstances. The uncertainties of life and the hardships of this world can be very disappointing. They can be discouraging, even to the point of maybe feeling overwhelmed or defeated by it. Man's best laid plans are no guarantee. And he has a tendency to put too much stock into all these things that he does know are passing away. The unlikely path, though, which God has called us to take is an unglamorous path of humility. The very opposite of what our world and what our culture encourages us to do. The apostles of Christ themselves wrestled with the temptation of wanting greatness. Position and prestige are desires and pursuits of many. Many among every class of people in the world, rich or poor, educated and uneducated, mighty and weak, it doesn't matter. Men have a tendency to want greatness. And it's not always for the purpose to, to rule over others. It may just be to rise above our present circumstances. The apostles were men. Men who had their faults. And arguing over greatness was one of them. In Luke chapter 9, if you'll turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, we're going to glance at just a few verses here. Where it tells us an argument started among them, that is among the apostles, as to which of them might be the greatest. But Jesus, knowing that they were thinking this in their heart, took a child and stood him by his side and said, Whoever received this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. The Lord's radical thinking states that choosing to be the least is where meaningful greatness is found. 
That is not what the world tells us. And then you think later on in the ministry of Jesus, Luke chapter 22, the apostles were slow learners. Because shortly before Jesus would be betrayed, they're right back to a worldly thinking of greatness. And so glancing there in the 22nd chapter of Luke, look at verse 24. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. And so they're still wrestling with the same temptation of wanting greatness, wanting this position or wanting this prestige in this world and in this life. And Jesus says to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. The one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You know, the, the very idea of placing yourself under others so that you can serve them day and night does not sound like the means of obtaining worldly success. And in a sense, it's not. But Jesus says that's the path of greatness. This unlikely path of humility. Christ-ordained vessels learn to carry burdens. And they learn to carry burdens to benefit other people, not just themselves. The apostles and their fellow workers experienced and, and endured many unpleasant things, hard things, which would not have been their first choice. But they had a vision. They had a vision to see through all the troubles this world threw at them. So turn now to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading verse 1. And we're, to, and we're going to read the entire chapter. And I want you to listen and pay attention as you follow along what the Holy Spirit is telling us through the penmanship of Paul. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry as we, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of the shame, because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels 
so that the surpassing greatness and the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also be may, may be manifested in our body. For we, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes. So that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound in the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, but the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now verse 1 of chapter 5. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Ministering to others is physically tiring. No matter what kind of ministry it is. Whether it's the ministry of the word or whether it's the ministry you know, to you know, you know, needy saints. Whatever the ministry is, it is physically tiring. But the call in Christ is this. Do it, and don't lose heart. Words like afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, delivered over to death, are not descriptions of greatness. They are not descriptions of worldly accomplishment. The world looks at that, and they frown at it. But it was a road of not just being humble, but also at times being humiliated at the hands of others. Christ's vessels were bond servants, bond servants for Jesus' sake, so that grace in Christ may spread to more and more people and in turn abound to God's glory, not to their own. So they learned to see with greater clarity the eternal weight of glory. An eternal weight of glory that's in heaven. And they long for that. They long for that eternal dwelling, groaning that they had to live on in this fleshly body. Paul himself, when you look over in Philippians chapter 3, Paul himself chose no longer to take confidence 
in national and traditional matters that would have been gainful to him. It, it, it would have been to a great advantage in a lot of different ways. But he did not take confidence in those things anymore, no matter what other people thought. As we talked about his Hebrew heritage and what tribe he's from and, and how he was a Pharisee you know, in accordance with the law and he was zealous and found blameless by the law. But then he says, whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Suffering loss was worth it to Paul. It was worth it to Paul because it meant gaining Christ. Suffering loss was worth it to gain Christ. Suffering loss was worth it to attain true righteousness. Suffering loss was worth it to lay hold of the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul no longer took confidence in the flesh, in the things that would have benefited him as a Jew. But instead, he chose a different path, a path of being a vessel unto God. Honorable and profitable vessels unto God choose a path, choose a life that will probably be mocked and be ridiculed by most people because it has very little to do with earthly gains. It has very little to do with earthly wisdom. It has very little to do even with earthly safety. It's not about pleasing men. It's not about pleasing ourselves. It's about serving God. And glorifying Him. God Almighty chose a means to bring about redemption and sanctification so that men could not boast in any earthly accomplishment. Just think about this. Ordaining that the preaching of the word of Christ's cross is the best way to save believers was in the minds of most people a sure way to failure. But it's not about what men think, is it? And so over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, we are told, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Verse 28, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by, but by doing, by His doing, you are in Christ. And you became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God's choices, God's ways were and are considered foolish and weak and despised. Things valued such as man's wisdom, man's might, man's honor, God is devalued. It's all passing away. And instead, God has bestowed more abundant honor on so-called small and lowly matters. God even warns us about aligning oneself too closely with the world. Over in James chapter 4, 
Where it talks about how, you know, those who build a friendship with the world set themselves at enmity against God. And you think about that idea. Friendship with the world encourages us to seek prideful pursuits, self-fulfillment, self-elevation, self-preservation. The opposite of Christ. Such is not a lowly path. Such is not the path of humility. A close connection with the world puts us in opposition to God because pride is at its root. While submission, submission to God, requires choosing to be a vessel for God. A humble vessel for His purpose and not our own. And so we have to be willing to give up earthly gains to gain what? To gain the true gain that's found in Jesus Christ. And so therefore the service that you and I are called to render will not gain us any kind of world notoriety. So our focus should not be on what, what, or what we can, cannot do or what we don't have, but rather we should focus more on this. What am I doing with what I do have? What am I doing with what I can do? Instead of looking at limitations, we need to see potential. We need to see our potential, particularly through Christ who loves and strengthens us. God values what you can do with what you have. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul instructs Christians, particularly Christians who are blessed in the things of this world, and what their attitude needs to be. And they're told, do not fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. And so blessed Christians are being told here, do not hope in life's uncertainties. But instead, he says, teach them to do good. Teach them to share. What's God looking for? God's not looking for you to, to do something with, you, with, with what you don't have. He's looking for you to do something what you do have. He wants us to take our blessings, to take our resources, and put them to good work. Individual abilities are to be utilized in accord with whatever resources a person has, not what he does not have. Jesus taught that the Heavenly Father takes note of the humble things which righteous people do for their Lord, for the Lord's brethren. In conclusion, let us read from Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, beginning there in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right side, and he will put the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty or give you something to drink? When did we do all these things, Lord? The point is, those small things, the unglamorous deeds of loving kindness which the world has no time to do, helping one person at a time, when you can. The world doesn't take notice of that. But it has eternal consequences. It has eternal rewards. So feeding a hungry brother or clothing him when he's naked, visiting your brother when he's sick, or for that matter, visiting when he's in prison, that may be sooner than we think. Or inviting a stranger into your home, all of these things are about trusting in God to supply and multiply our seed of righteousness. So the question we end with is this. Are we a vessel who has the love of the Father overflowing within us? Or are we a vessel who loves this world with all the things in it too much? Which one are we? Vessels where God walk and live by faith, confessing that they are exiles on the earth because their citizenship, their home, is elsewhere. It is not of this world. And so therefore they empty themselves. And while they empty themselves, they in turn fill themselves with the mind of Christ. A mind who humbly obeyed his Father and then humbly made himself a servant to all men. Becoming and being a Christian is not about notoriety. It's not about earthly success and accomplishments and fulfillment in this, in this life. But it is about cleansing ourselves from our sins through the blood of Christ and then living the rest of our days in the holiness of truth. We want to encourage you to contemplate your soul's condition in light of what God says. If you're not a Christian, you need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing in Him, you need to be willing to confess that with your mouth before others, repent of your sins, and be baptized into Christ to wash away your sins. If we can, if we can assist you in that, we're ready to do that. Please let us know. If you are a Christian, but you've not been living like you should, you need to make that right with your Lord, and we can assist you in some way in praying with you or praying for you. We invite you as well. Contact us. Let us know how we can help you spiritually to be right with God. Thank you for listening.